Welcome to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFD News and Views and follow us at, at the Fintech Times. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. We have so many fantastic things to talk about about the fintech world this week, but Tom and Francis joining me as ever how are you guys doing today very good thank you it's been uh, another good week quite an exciting uh, busy week we've had uh, lots of work on the newspaper and we've got some great stories to go through today uh, amazing stuff and francis how about you pretty much the same to be honest happy to be here again talking fintech with you guys and yeah i think we've got some good stories lined up should be good Speaking of good stories, what are you guys going to be talking about today? Francis, what's your article? So this week, I'm going to be talking about how credit card spend is up £100 in September 2023 when compared to two years ago and sort of discuss the future of credit cards. Fantastic stuff. And Tom, how about you? I am going to be talking about some of the recent big news in the crypto world. Great stuff. And I'm going to be talking about uh, diversity in the boardroom, uh, specifically when we're talking about age. Um, so, Tom, I'm going to let you go first because I feel like your story is pretty big topical news right now. So why don't you kick us off? It is. The uh, the crypto world is always giving us a lot of entertainment. I feel like it has throughout the year. Um, so basically, last week, we have seen some very big developments in the, the world of crypto. Uh, and that came through the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, or the SEC, charged the popular crypto trading platform, Kraken as an unregistered securities exchange broker dealer and clearing agency. Uh, And then just, I think one day later, the CEO of Binance, Changpeng Zhao, pleaded guilty to money laundering charges and resigned from his position at the exchange. Now, I feel like throughout the year on this podcast, we've spoken a lot about big developments in the crypto world. And the point that we often come back to is how this really impacts the reputation of the crypto industry and this really took me by surprise i guess because when a big player like binance is forced to pay the world they had to pay a 4.3 billion dollar settlement for its failings regarding anti-money laundering um and champagne Zhao, who is a very popular figure in the crypto world uh, and its ceo was also hit by a 50 million dollar fine And I just thought this is something, you know, Binance are one of the largest players when it comes to crypto. And once again, it came back to, well, I wonder how the world is going to take notice of this. So rather than debate how we think this is going to impact people's perception of of crypto, because I feel like we've done that a lot in the past. I really wanted to ask both of you what you actually personally think of crypto yourselves. Do you trust it or not? So, Polly, I'll, I'll come to you first. Do you like or, or loathe crypto? And would you trust it enough to potentially make like future crypto investments in the future? Or have you seen enough to make you want to avoid it? I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, I am really much leaning towards the avoid. I mean, I have never really been a crypto person which is probably quite interesting considering the job that I have in the industry that I'm in. And maybe you kind of expect me to be a bit more keen on crypto. But I think the problem is I don't really understand it. And I've never understood it. Again, even with the job that I have, I have never understood crypto and like how it works and how you're supposed to do it. 
And I think, yeah, for me, hearing news like this um, and all the different things that are happening in the space just really cement that thought in my head of, yeah, crypto's not for you. I think it's too much to try and wade into. And I know I'm sure there are like, there are loads of places online where I could go to like find more information and like learn more. And there's loads of different apps and fintechs and other places where that, that, you know, are fully designed to like help you get into crypto in a way that makes sense. But for me, I just, I just really don't want to. And I've, I've never wanted to, even before I, kind of got into the fintech industry it just it's it's just never been a big desire for me and just hearing news like this just kind of makes me go yeah I'm making the right choice because it doesn't sound great you know like money laundering um different you know sanctions regulations not being followed all of this stuff that doesn't sound like an industry that you want to trust your money with and I know crypto, crypto. I know crypto is like volatile, and I know that like the risky investment is like the whole appeal of cryptocurrency. I get that, but for me, it's too much of a risk. Like you hear so many horror stories of people who have like lost their savings to crypto, or like even just sort of they've invested a bunch of money into crypto and have like millions and millions of Bitcoin, but they can't access it because they've forgotten their password or something like that. Even like stories like that just make me go clearly people need to think this through a little bit more um so yeah i think to answer your question i don't i'm not into it i'm just really not into crypto and i don't think i ever will be and i don't know if anything could ever happen to make me actually go yeah i'll give crypto a go i can't i can't think of anything that would sort of placate my fears fears maybe it's a strong word but like my concerns i just i'm not i'm not into it yeah i think you raise a good point in the fact that one of the reasons so many people get into it in the first place is the volatility and it's like, oh, get rich quick almost. And I I, I, I mean, I was guilty for that during uh, lockdown. I was like, yeah, you know what? I don't have a, a lot else to spend my money at the moment. Seeing how well crypto was doing at the time, I was like, let me just put a little bit into that. And you see, you know, saw it rise up really quickly and go, wow, I'm making so much money here. And then inevitably saw it all crash down um, pretty soon after. And... Yeah, I think for me, it's seeing all this volatility, not only in the the value of different crypto assets, but also just in the, the world of crypto, the the different companies, the different regulations, as you said, I think it makes it a very, it makes me very wary as well. And, you know, while I have quite a lot of crypto just sitting there now, I'm not worth anything, but it's all just sat there. And I think mentally, I've gone, you know what, that's enough now. We'll, uh, we'll see how that does. But I think it's very easy with so much volatility going on. Um, to, to take a step back away from it. And I think it was interesting because the article that I'm, I'm referencing was sort of got looking into the industry reaction. And there was very much a split between people saying, this is just a, a, another hurdle for the crypto industry to, you know, jump over. It's going to be fine again. It will, you know, recover from this. And then other people saying, this is, you know, surely enough now. We've seen that the crypto industry is never going to settle down. Um, so I thought it was interesting that even, you know, when you reach out to the, the experts, no one can really agree on what this means for, for the future of, of crypto. But I know, Francis, you also have uh, been guilty of a little crypto investment in the past. So I want to get your take, especially on what do you think this means for the future of crypto? Yeah, I mean, similar to you, I think I saw you heard all about how this there was this get rich quick type of thing. I put some money in and I was like, oh, look, and it's gone up. And then three days later, 
it wasn't even worth what I'd originally put in. But I think the news that sort of has come recently from Binance, I don't think it's really going to be that detrimental to crypto. Almost because I feel like there's there's never been a time where crypto hasn't been in the firing line with the with the regulators, be that in the US or UK or wherever you may be. I think crypto seems to always be sort of a very it's a very tense subject, I think, in, in terms of compliance. And because of that, I feel like people in the industry have sort of grown used to it. And when the news broke about uh, the Binance CEO being removed, it kind of just, it almost felt, it felt like it was falling on deaf ears. It almost was like, it doesn't really mean anything. It's just another thing that's happened in the crypto industry. Another time that someone has, you know, sort of shown that, oh, it's not as trustworthy as it, as it can be. But then I think on the flip side, and I'm not going to say it's playing devil's advocate because it's something that I do truly agree with, is that there are a lot of good use cases of crypto, especially in emerging markets. And I think when you talk about sort of cross-border payments or, or trying to send money back home to other places, and you think about how stable coins are a way to ensure that people aren't losing ridiculous amounts of money when they're, when they're working hard to send money back to their families. And I think in that regard, you really have to sort of say that yeah, there there are a lot of bad sides to cryptocurrencies and this definitely doesn't help with that image. But I think when you think about the use cases and how a majority of people can use it, I mean, when after the news, I looked up to see how Binance, how Binance's coin was doing. And I mean, it's gone up. It's, despite this news, Binance coin has still gone up in value. And it just makes me think that there's, well, there's two ways to look at it. Either it's a hype train and that everyone still really likes it. So this doesn't really matter at all. But then if everyone starts to suddenly think, oh, I I'm not sure I like this, does it all crash and burn? I'm Possibly, very possibly. But I don't know. I think there are just enough good use cases that you can think to yourself, I don't, I don't know, that, you know, crypto is good. And that I think it is, it definitely has its place. Yeah, I think personally as well, being someone that doesn't actually need crypto in you know my daily life, or I don't think, oh, I need crypto to solve this, problem sending money cross borders or anything i think it's very easy to forget actually that those use cases do exist and it's certainly a good argument for what it, you know the future of the crypto industry and, and meaning that you know it can still continue to help people beyond just being somewhere for people to invest their money um so yeah it's a it's an interesting point but uh no it's good to hear that but uh i guess we'll move on to one of your two articles do we have any volunteers yeah, go on then. I'll go next. As we're coming up to December now, as when this goes live, it will be December. I think it's quite interesting to see with Christmas spend coming up and with Black Friday just having gone by and, you know, with the Boxing Day deals that are going to come. It's always interesting to see how people are spending their money. And recent research from FICO, the analytics software company, revealed that credit card spend has gone up £100. Only by September, by the way of 2023 when compared to two years ago. So the research comes from client reports generated by the FICO Triad customer management solution. And it found that in September, 2023, credit card spend was on average 805 pounds, which was 30, 30 more, 30 pounds more, sorry, more than in September, 2022, and almost hundred pounds more than in September, 2021. So in the past two years, 
December's credit card spend has been £50 more than September's figures. And if this year and next year follow the same trend, consumers could be spending around £900 using credit cards in December 2024 on average. Lenders should be wary, however, the article points out, because there has been a year-on-year growth of 9.3%, 10.7%, and 17.9% in the percentage of accounts missing one, two, and three payments, respectively. So when looking at singular payments missed, September 2023 was a stark increase compared to August of the same, of the same year, as there was a 13.5% increase in missed payments. So it's something to keep an eye out and something that lenders should be aware of going into, you know, the crazy December months. But I think one of the big things that I wanted to talk about with you guys is we've really seen an emergence of new payment technologies this year, especially with AI and artificial intelligence really exploding onto the scene. And we've heard loads about how it's going to impact the future and especially in the next coming years, what's really going to happen. I was curious to see if you guys thought that if there were any other technologies, or it could just be AI, that would really impact how much people are using credit cards in December, because I think we can all agree due to Christmas, there's always going to be more spending going on and with inflation and and, and different things going on in, in the economy, prices are going to continue to go up. But is the emergence of AI or any other technology going to really replace credit cards? Or do you think it's the old reliable and that everyone's going to keep coming back to it? Uh, Tom, I'll go to you first. I, I have to say, I, I don't know if the sort of the world of AI payments, I'm not fully, I guess, up to speed with what exactly the use cases or exactly the te- technology that's going to come in that could replace credit cards, if that makes sense. I think I could definitely see the likes of uh, buy now, pay later coming in and, and having a big impact on whether people use credit cards as much, especially I think every year it seems to be growing. And in many respects, it's like a direct competitor in the case of like, you know, you can spend the money through buy now, pay later, pay in installments, you know, later on, it's not an immediate worry. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Honestly, I, I think in the short term, I think credit cards are going to be continue to grow and spending on credit cards will honestly continue to grow. Um, you know, as prices go up as well, but I think more and more people, you know, at least our generation are still looking to apply for credit cards. They see the benefits. And I know we were talking recently about, you know, the better in your credit score when it comes to credit cards. Uh, and that's obviously a, a big reason that people have them. So for the time being, I, I don't think there's anything that's going to come in to replace it. Perhaps people will use them less when we get more banks using sort of open banking and open finance to check if you're eligible for certain loans and things rather than the sort of dated credit score infrastructure that, that we use now. So I wonder if once that credit score appeal about credit credit cards is gone or is lessened at least, whether people might then go, okay, we don't need to use credit cards anymore. I'd rather use buy now, pay later or any AI forms of payment. So I think it'll be interesting. I think for the short term, credit cards will stay top of the pack. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, in a few years in the future, whether that will change due to new technology. Before I give my opinion on that, I think that's really interesting you've said that. But I just want to see, Polly, what, what do you think? 
So I agree with like everything that Thomas just said. I think he has answered the question better than I could have possibly tried to answer it, but I will I will bash out something anyway. I think the only thing that will overtake credit cards is other lines of credit. And this could be in like a whole host of different ways. Uh, but buy, buy now, pay later, I think particularly is one of the places where we're going to see a lot of uptake. Because I mean, at the moment, obviously being Christmas, I'm getting buy now, pay later advertised to me like everywhere, like scrolling on TikTok or like on like social media and other places like that. But like all loads of different buy now, pay later companies are like advertising to me being like, pay for Christmas easier, blah, 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 or like get your best Christmas gifts. Um, So I think that's definitely going to see a push. I think sometimes a credit card can feel like a scary thing if you're not like used to using one, or maybe you've been told by your parents, you know, never get a credit card because it just leads to debt. And so there's there can be a little bit of an aversion to getting a credit card even though you know lines of credit are open in every part of your life and it's just another similar thing of credit but when it comes to buy now pay later i think they just feel a lot less scary and a lot less dangerous in a lot of ways even though of of course we know that they have their own sort of issues as well as you know their own strengths as well um and i think there'll be other ways as well like you know like retail store cards even though they are technically a credit card um, I think those will get a huge rise as well because those are always pushed on you. Whenever you make a purchase at like a, a big chain that has one, I think you're always asked, do you want to open a store card? Um, and yeah, so I think whether there's some like really cool technology out there that I don't know about yet or that I can, you know, not see, but just in general, I think, yeah, I think the only thing that's going to replace a credit card is going to be other lines of credit, whatever they might be. Yeah, the reason I wanted to, again I, I do definitely agree with you Polly but the reason I wanted to sort of get both of your viewpoints first is is because I think the it's kind of what we've all agreed here is that credit history is such an important factor in the financial ecosystem right now uh, sort of on a personal basis at least and I think without it you're you're going to struggle to sort of get loans to sort of get a house to do whatever you need to do it's always going to be very difficult without a good credit history and it's kind of like you said, Tom, unless there's something that can really replace this, I don't necessarily want to call it archaic, but let's say dated method of sort of testing at eligibility for stuff, for loans specifically, I don't think we're going to see credit cards replaced. So I think it is very possible that we do see that £900 spend in December 2024. However, it is very possible that if there is some sort of technology that comes in, I mean, open banking and open finance are great examples that can really alleviate the stress of a credit of having good credit history. I mean, if there's an alternative way to sort of show that, you know, you're responsible with your payments, then perhaps we will see them sort of fall to the wayside. But yeah, I think the importance of having a good credit score, I think, is good is what's going to keep them relevant. But yeah, we'll go to your to our final article of the day. Polly, take it away. Awesome. Thank you, Francis. So yeah, moving away from credit cards and payments and all that sort of lovely stuff. uh, The article I wanted to talk about today is all kind of about diversity, but not in the way that perhaps we talk about it traditionally. I think when we talk about diversity a lot, both, I mean, in the fintech industry, but just like generally in the world, we kind of focus on gender. And while gender diversity is like a really important factor here, I think it's also important to kind of talk about age um, as something that we need to be thinking about in terms of diversity as well. So there's an article um, here on our website from Fiona 
Hawthorne, the CEO of WB Directors, uh, the Women on Boards Network, um, talking about the importance of younger voices in the boardroom, essentially, and how very few boards of directors hear from young people, um, and the, as the majority of them are in their mid to late 50s, despite young people taking up a large proportion of their customer base. And I just thought this was a really interesting idea, because it's kind of something that I explored very briefly back in October for our Women in Fintech series, this idea of diversity beyond gender. Um, and as well back uh, in, gosh, when was Money 2020 in Amsterdam? Was that June, May? Whenever that was, um, on a panel I did with Joanne Dewar and a few other people, um, again, about diversity in fintech and the importance of looking at that beyond the gender scope. Um, and so I just thought it'd be really interesting to kind of bring it to the table today and kind of see what you guys thought of it. Because obviously, you know, young people are very much the future, which sounds so cliche to say. It's kind of thing you kind of expect people to say, you know, in the classroom when you're talking about careers or something like that. But I think the the idea of fintech and financial companies needing to look at the younger lens is a really interesting one because i do think a lot of fintechs are skewing quite younger like there's a lot of very young ceos of startups um and you know just young members of you know startup workforces in general but i thought it was quite interesting especially because of the future being so digital and obviously young people are like more likely to try new technologies and try new things and just generally bring a lot of different sort of energy and new ideas and innovations to a boardroom to a business you know I think sometimes when you're you know maybe these older boards older CEOs maybe they have like a particular way of doing things and that's absolutely fine but it's hard to kind of generate new ideas and new innovation when you're just doing things exactly the same way so yeah I wanted to just ask you guys what you thought do you think we need to start looking you know younger whether that's getting people in the c-suite who are younger than you know 50 or is it a case of that we can keep the boardrooms as they are but they just need to kind of get more input from younger people whether that's their younger consumers or like younger members of staff uh what do you guys think Tom I will ask you first I think it's a really interesting question actually I personally think I don't see any negative to having younger people in the boardroom whether that be you know given a a senior role you know as a much younger person or whether it just means more input either way I don't think they can be negative I think the one thing that goes against younger people generally in that respect is you know experience obviously someone who's been in the industry for 30 40 years has a lot more experience when they've got more experience in the industry than you have lived and that's always interesting but I think it's very easy to see sometimes that there is a that older demographic who while they have this experience maybe they're less involved in like emerging technologies I think something I read in the article is younger people are much more likely to engage with emerging technologies and trial new technologies out things like that can be you know, it's just a different attitude because of a different age and I guess a different level of experience, um, a different environment that they're living in day to day. So, yeah, I think diversity in every respect, the more diversity you can get in the boardroom, it doesn't seem like every report I've ever seen suggests that every type of diversity and the more diverse boardroom is, the more success that it's going to see. And I guess it's just because everyone has different inputs depending on you know, their their lifestyle, their age, their experience. 
And if you can combine all that, you're going to get the best possible result. So, yeah, I, I really think it, it can only be a good thing. And, yeah, I, I hopefully we see more and more of, of that type of diversity and that every type of diversity continuing on in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right on the money there with the idea of experience. And I think that is the one thing sort of holding us back to going fully, you know, young people in the boardroom. But I think, yeah, having that blend of both experience and new ideas and new thinking, I think is, is going to be the perfect way to go. Uh, but Francis, what do you think about this? Yeah, I, to be honest, I, I'm very much sort of in the same same boat as you guys. And I think it's very easy to get stuck in the old ways, especially when there's been historical success doing something one way. I think it can be very risky for a business to think, all right, well, we're going to sort of just abandon that and completely uproot everything that we've done. But I think it's essential that you need younger voices, especially if you're looking to target a younger audience. I feel like it's very easy for for different age groups to sort of get out of touch with one another. Be that intentional or not, sometimes people from a, an older demographic are, are making an extra effort to sort of be more attuned to what younger people like and dislike and you know what the trends are but nonetheless I think it's always going to be easier to have sort of a relatable voice at least and I think it, it works in in both ways because you know how you you asked Polly you said is it that you need to have someone younger to or do you, do boards just need to open their ears to to the younger members of their teams but I think it's all. It's like that saying that I, I always bring it up because I think it's so so useful. It's such a good analogy. But if you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And I mean, they can have all the ideas that they want, but if there's nothing that's gonna or no one that they think they can approach to talk to, then they're not gonna say it. Whereas I think if you have someone who who is it's kind of similar to the the mentors that we always talk about in women in fintech, right? I mean, it's much easier for for people, just anyone really to talk to someone else if they sort of have something that they can relate with. And I think that when when you sort of look at sort of boards, at, boards of directors that sort of just made up of just old, the older generation, it, it sort of makes you think, oh, they're just not going to understand necessarily. Or if I pitch my idea, it might not might not go down well. Whereas I think, as, as you guys mentioned, younger people tend to be more open to the idea of emerging technologies. And it, that may be a stereotype and it probably is, but there are some stats to back it up. So I don't know. I think it, it is definitely something that needs to to see some change. And I think it would be good to ultimately have more diversity in every sense of the word in in boardrooms. Yeah, absolutely. I really like what you've said there. And I think the idea of diversity, all encompassing diversity, I think is something that we should definitely explore more on the podcast. I think it's a really interesting topic that we can all uh, get into but anyway that does bring us to the end of our discussion today uh, thank you so much guys for bringing your articles to the table if you want to hear any more about anything we've talked about today head on over to the fintechtimes.com where you can read plenty more news and insights over there uh, very quickly though we will move on to what i learned this week so each week we learn so much new and interesting information being on the fintech times editorial team that we are just learning something new all the time so we thought it'd be fun to share that with our listeners so francis what have you learned this week so this week, I learned that Habito, the digital mortgage broker, has joined forces with AI-driven prop tech startup PropFlow to launch a new tool for mortgage intermediary sector, GreenVal, to help homeowners make their properties more energy efficient and environmentally friendly. And as COP28 has started today, or, or yesterday, I should say, as of, as of recording, I thought it was really appropriate and quite interesting to see. Fantastic. Thank you. And Tom, what have you learned this week? 
This week, I learned that during the current cost of living crisis, that 18% of pensioners in the UK are set to find themselves on the poverty line due to not having enough money in their pension funds. Uh, and that's according to Sydney Capital, the later life lending specialist. Amazing. And what I learned this week is that UK businesses are getting back to the office and spending more on products related to their office space uh, from Paleo, the spend management platform. Uh, but anyway, guys, thank you so much for joining this week. It has been a pleasure, as always, to talk about fintech with you. Um, and I'll catch you on the next one. See you guys next week. See you guys then. Thanks for listening to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversation using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times. Mm-hmm.